Hello, I'm Craig and welcome to another episode of Football Kit Memories, the football podcast that gets under the shirt. In today's episode, I am joined by broadcaster and presenter Chris Skull. Chris joined me to discuss his new book, Can We Not Knock It? A deep dive into 90s football nostalgia that sounds like the perfect complement to the much-loved podcast he co-hosts with Josh Widdicombe, Quickly Kevin, Willie Score. We cover that, as well as Chris's work at West Ham, as he shares plenty of anecdotes from his numerous dealings with footballers over the years. Later, and as always, I ask Chris to pick out three of his favourite football shirts and tell me a little bit about what they mean to him. We cover West Ham at Upton Park, England at Euro 92, and I find out why you'll never catch Chris walking down the street with a bunch of flowers. Remember, you can listen to this and other episodes of Football Kit Memories on all major audio platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please do like, follow, share, but above all, please do enjoy the podcast. Okay, so today on the podcast, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by broadcaster and presenter, it's Chris Skoll. How are you doing, Chris? Good, Craig. Thanks for having me on. Mate, great to have you. Thanks so much for taking the time to do it. No, I love talking about football kids. So this <laughs> is almost a dream come true. Lovely stuff. So, look, Chris, I'm guessing a lot of people will know you um, probably best from um, the excellent Quickly Kevin Willie Score podcast that you do with Josh Widdicombe. I just wanted to kind of ask you a bit about that, how it all came about in the first place. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess the, the reason it came about really was timing. It was I, I used to do a podcast about West Ham, which is why I've ended up working at West Ham. I used to do a, a West Ham podcast called He's Up Mother Brown. Okay. And I was doing it with my mate, uh, a guy called James Longman who got offered a gig doing the Late Late Show with James Corden in LA. So he left me. Wow. And I kind of thought, oh, I'll stop, do- I'll stop doing a podcast about West Ham because we kind of met everyone. And at the exact same time, Josh was doing Fighting Talk. Yeah. And uh, he left Fighting Talk. And so at the same time, Josh was a friend of mine, still is, <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> and uh, we were on holiday. And... Um, I had this idea. I wanted to do so after I did a West Ham uh, fan podcast and I'd kind of met other players. I was itching to do, I love talking about football, but I was itching to do something that was a bit more broad. Mm-hmm. And um, Josh is obviously a massive nostalgia fan, but I thought there was really something in the 90s. And so my pitch to him was like, we were sat on the Sun Lounders one day on a holiday and I was like, I've got this idea of a podcast, like all these players who were like idols of ours in the 90s. And now kind of just kicking around, not doing much. And they've got all the stories. Like I'm genuinely interested in what these, what it was like for these players. Like you've heard all the rumours about Matt Letizia and the sausage and egg McMuffins and all that stuff. And you know, like how unprofessional it was in the 90s. I was like, I think enough time has passed that these people would talk about it now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't want to say we've changed the culture, but Harry Redknapp had that show where he took Neil Ruddock and that to France and... There's a Premier League and the Premier League in the 90s series just started on BBC. So maybe we've had some sort of impact. You've captured a bit of a zeitgeist there, haven't you? To use yeah. that word. It's probably the biggest word I've ever used on the podcast. So very <laughs> nice. So um, you, as you said, you kind of had some amazing guests on the podcast. Um, Twitter's Matt Letizier was the first one you had. Um, but you spoke to like amazing people like Lee Dixon, Paul Merson, Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher. Yeah. To name but a few i wondered has there been any that like really surprised you any that you might have had preconceived notions of in the previously that kind of really blew you away and changed your mind about them um well i'm just I'll, i will say before i answer that question that i'm glad we got matt Letizia, matt on before he went mad which is back <laughs> in the day when he was a relatively accepted 90s football character be a bit more problematic these days so i'm glad we got him in early doors 
It's been amazing meeting so many of them. I guess, um, do you know what? They're all just really nice. There hasn't been any I've met really and been like, oh, uh, that guy was particularly intense. Like everyone from Steve Ball. I remember the, Tony Dorigo just being like such a nice guy, Pat Nevin. I'd say the one thing that really surprised me about meeting loads of 90s footballers is how, how nice they are. And I wonder whether that is something peculiar to the 90s, you know, because they earned mega, they earned mega money, but not enough, like enough, not enough, like they're still humble. They're really humble mm. and just and lovely and kind of normal. Because I guess when, when these people like Lee Dixon were breaking into the football in the 90s, it wasn't, you know, there was probably, I'd reckon at Highbury, probably 30% of the crowd was earned, still earning more than the players. Right, interesting. Um, like when Lee Dixon was starting out, and I think it just grounds them in a real kind of, they're just such normal people. And then I think as you get in the noughties, the money really does explode and like average Premier League footballers earning 40 grand a week. Yeah. It just really change, just really changes people. I don't know. My my theory, the thing that has really surprised me about them all is uh, just how normal they are. With probably the exception of um, Paul Merson, this was still quite early on. Paul Merson might only been the, the third person we interviewed, right? And he got to the studio, and first we we offered him some water, and he, ref- he explained how he refuses to drink tap water because okay. he's worried about the bacteria in the <laughs> in, in the in the waters. Okay. We're like, okay. And then the next thing he said was that um, he refuses to get trains anywhere because he always likes to know he can get out. This is like in the first two minutes of the interview, you're like, oh, wow, this, you know, these are quite <laughs> out there thoughts <laughs> and ways of living your life. Another one as well that's quite funny was that somebody who surprised me. It was like Darren Anderton. And uh, he came in holding a Starbucks cop, cup and on it he'd written Bob. And we were like, uh, <laughs> we're like, he kind of left the cup in the room and left. And we were like, why has he got a Starbucks cup with Bob? Like, why has he said his name's Bob? Like, we've got to bring this up. And I think we might have brought it up in the interviews. And like, why have he said Bob? And his reasoning was that uh, he said, people find it, find Darren hard to understand or spell. So he just says Bob. But I'm like, Darren's not that hard. But well, my, thought, my thought was like, he doesn't want to say Darren in case he gets recognised. Yeah. And like, are you Darren? So he'd say Bob. But no, he just thought Darren's a really hard word for people to understand. Again, surprising. Well, he's thinking of others there. He's a kind man, like you say. 90s footballers are kind people, so very nice. I wanted to ask you as well about um, one of my... Well, you've done quite a few of the podcasts now where you analyse Steve Brooks's... Allegedly Steve Brooks, Steve Bruce's uh, yeah. novels. Do you think they're real? Um, I, do you know what? I've gone back and forward on this so many times. I, uh, I when I, when, the, when the conspiracy theory that Steve Bruce may not have written this, these books was first offered up, I thought, what a load of rubbish. But then there's loads of, uh, as you really get into this conspiracy, there's loads of different pieces of evidence, like Alex Bruce, his son, saying he didn't write them. Mm. We had emails in and people, someone, we had an email in from someone who said, don't mention my name but I know that Steve Bruce did a deal with the publisher where the publisher wrote the book and said, Steve, just put your name to it. But the thing that I ultimately, I think Steve Bruce did write them because they're terrible. And Steve Bruce says, yeah, I wrote them. They're terrible. I don't believe he'd still be covering for a publisher. He did a clandestine deal with like 20 years later or however, however long it's been. So I think uh, because they're bad and because I don't think he would cover for someone for this amount of time, for quite a silly reason, I think, yes, he's, he probably has written them. I believe Steve Bruce is the, the author. I'm amazed that nobody's reissued them because they're really expensive to buy on eBay, right? 
I know crazy expensive the only way if you want to hear it in detail you've just got to sign up for quickly kevin's patron that's the only way you're going to get it chapter eight out this month good up sell me i like it <laughs> <laughs> cut that out cut that out <laughs> <laughs> so um so chris you, you mentioned that you work at west ham as well um what's that like you do a bit of hosting and you do a bit of like match day stuff yeah. as well right yeah, I'm the match day stadium presenter. So like to do the silly halftime games where people kick the balls into buckets and stuff like that. We've actually got a complex. We actually nicked Ajax's halftime entertainment. We've got uh, okay. a, the stadium now has the whole uh, Wi-Fi. Everyone can get on the Wi-Fi in the stadium. So we run a game at halftime where uh, people can have a go on a quiz using their mobile phone and win a shirt. But and last season it was uh, you had to kick a ball into a into a hole in a goal as many yeah. times as you could in 30 seconds, which is a bit more route one. But now we've kind of, we've hit 2021 with West Ham. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're excellent in the first half at half time and the second half, like in terms of our, our professionalism, which is great. Um, yeah, but I love it. Yeah, so I, the, I, it really, my relationship with West Ham is quite organic. Like after I stopped doing the West Ham um, fan podcast, someone who works in the commercial department of the club said, look, we all listen to it. We're big fans. We need someone to come down and... Um, I like interview the players in the uh, in the lounges at London Stadium. So yeah. that's how I first got in there. Was like doing Q and A's before the game, and because um, I'd met a lot of the players through the, doing the fan podcast. So it, I started in the lounges, and then it became then do like uh, hospital like um, corporate nights for sponsors. It'd be Q and A's with the, the, the first team, yeah. and then that progressed to doing stuff on the West Ham TV channel. And now here I am on the pitch at uh, half time. Wow, that must be stressful going out on the pitch in front of all those fans as well. It is, but um, the, the best piece of advice, I think, in public speaking I've ever had, probably Christian Daly, he okay. said, you you just get you need to get yourself into a place where you don't give a shit. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's what I realised. I kind of realised, like, if I am a little bit amateurish and you know, in the way I'm doing these things, I'm enjoying it and it's silly and people don't expect a really high level of professionalism. And actually that's quite something quite heartwarming about that. Yeah. So well, I've found a way to absolutely love it. That's amazing. Do you know what? Christian Daly is my favourite ever Scotland player, Scotland fan, and that's just yeah. made me love him even more. Absolutely fantastic. So, so mate, I wanted to ask you as well about, you, you were doing another podcast called The Footballer's Guide to Football with Marlon Harewood and Colton Cole last yeah. year, 2020, right? That, yeah, that some incredible right at the guess. start. Of the, yeah, incredible guess. Yeah, it was a. Do you know what? It never really, um, it never really kicked on. It, we had some amazing guests. Every yeah. episode we did would hit the papers. We had like John Terry on it, Joe Cole, um, Darren Ben, like every Jimmy Bullard on there. My my thing was like, it was really born out of uh, that podcast was born out of. When I was doing the lounges with the footballers, I'd had to like, it was all West Ham footballers, but I'd, I'd be sat with them at the bar for 20 minutes before we went on stage and did a Q&A. Okay. And the stuff they were telling me, I was just like, I have never heard people talk about this before. <laughs> and what I wanted to do was create a series. I wanted to do it so that every series you would focus on a different aspect of being a footballer. Yeah. The thing that really I was always fascinated with was like, what's it like for world-class footballers when they're at school. So the first series we did was about footballers kind of, uh, yeah, growing up. What is it like being at school when yeah. you're going to play for England? Like, I, I, 
I was never that good at football and I had like great fun, but to be like Carlton Cole tells amazing stories about being like, he was the jock in the school. And then he was on like, by the time he's 18, he's on like 15 grand a week and gone from like kicking around with his mates five years earlier to cleaning Rude Hullet's boots. And uh, (laughs) like, I find those stories so fascinating. So we spoke to like John Terry, Joe Cole. Joe Cole was a fascinating one because he was a celebrity from the age of 15. The news is that because West Ham signed him on a, on a big contract when he was 15 years old. So before he'd even kicked a ball, when he's still at school, he was on the news of the world as like this, this kid, Joe Cole earning yeah 15 grand a week, or whatever it was. And yeah. so he went into school and then he said it, everything changed. It was really fascinating to hear about the nature of celebrity when you're 15 years old. And he was tells this story about going into school and the teachers like giving him funny looks because now he's the richest person in the school, like including all the teachers. And he said the way the, the just girls, the girls in the school suddenly would treat him completely differently. So he was seen as like a celebrity and the parents of the kids. Unbelievable. Then, then after that, what I wanted to do was like um, move on to like managers and just speak to footballers like John Terry and go, go through the managers. Yeah. Um, and then go like maybe do a whole series specifically on money and the things they spent their money on and like advice because I just find out all that fascinating just like a real deep dive in what it's actually like to be a footballer. Yeah. But we got to the end of that. We got to the end of the first series and uh, I don't know. We just didn't really kick. We didn't really kick on and pick it up again. But it's one of the things that people say to me the most is like, when are you going to bring it back? Yeah. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. I mate, I definitely scope for it. I really enjoyed it. It was fantastic. And I think you're right in terms of. When you're doing a podcast, I find you listen to so many of these podcasts out there, the the, the kind of in-depth stuff you get that you're not getting in traditional media as well is just so valuable and so interesting. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's a hard thing, I suppose. Yeah, and you get like, um, (laughs) the great thing about that Footballer's Guide podcast was like, we got an hour with Gianfranco Zola and we just talked to him about being in school. Like we just, and he grew up in like polite. It's so fascinating. Like you'd never, you'd never heard. It was really a difficult re- interview to research because there's nothing about. No one's ever just sat down with Zola and go, "I'm only going to talk about what it was like when you yeah. went to school." And it's fascinating because he went to school in like Palermo. Like he went in the was it Palermo, the island off? I can't. The Cagliari, isn't he? He's from. Yeah. What's that? Oh, uh, Sardinia. Sardinia, that's the one. Yeah. Um, yeah, he went to Sardinia. Yeah, so he grew up in like the middle of nowhere, like really poor, and just incredibly skillful and he talks about kind of getting discovered and um how he broke into professional football it's yeah you've inspired me here but i think you i think we might have to bring it back yeah well i mean look, that's different for them as well because you're asking them questions that aren't the kind of traditional thing they're always getting all the time you know what was it like for you at chelsea kind of thing like, yeah, you know, they've yeah. been asked that a thousand times Sa- sam allardyce text me after we did he came on and he texted me afterwards saying it was the best interview he's ever done Wow. Well, look, that's... And a that's, thumbs up emoji. That's your five-star review, isn't it? <laughs> Bring it back. Bring it back. <laughs> oh, Sam Allardyce was a fascinating one because uh, he had a load of businesses. Like, so when he was, like, playing... Uh, um, uh, I think he was playing, like, Bolton. He was just playing all around the Northwest. But every every time... He was really shrewd. Every time he made a bit of money, he would invest it in a business. So he had, like, a hi-fi shop. He had, like, he had all these different... But he owned, like, half of Bolton, it sounded like. Um, it's fascinating, fascinating stuff. Well, wow. yeah, mate, incredible, incredible. So, look, um, Chris, a new thing for you. You've you've written a book. You've written a book about nineties yes. football. It's called "Can We Not Not Knock Get it. Sorry, Get That Right." Uh, it's with a chap called Sid Lambert. Yes, more, so, yes. So Sid Lambert. Well, I had a column in the program at West Ham, right? And um, the column next to mine was Sid Lambert 
going back in time and playing Championship Manager 3. I think it was like 0102. Mm-hmm. And he kind of played it in real time over the course of a season so that every column was like the latest update on how he was progressing with this game. Yeah. And so it, it was so funny because he would like... He would talk about trying to keep hold of Joe Cole and Joe Cole wanted to go. And like there's some of the players he was bringing in and trying to flog Titi Kamara or whoever <laughs> the player was. And I, I find it, found it so funny. And then I, 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 and I can't really remember how it started, but we started messaging each other because I was like, mate, your column is so funny. And then he turned out he was a big fan of Quickly Kevin. Right. And we both just agreed. We were originally going to write a book about West Ham in the 90s. But I was like, what? This is a, why don't we just move it out to all of, all of the 90s. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, that's what happened. But I'd kind of, so I was about probably six months in of writing a book. I wanted to write a book about 90s football because having met so many of the characters and, and like spent so long on this subject, I was like, there is so much I want to talk about, like Sabutio Sub- or just, ma- there's one, one of the first chapters I wrote was like managers wearing flat caps, yeah. like non-ironically, like Alan Ball. Alan Ball Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Jack Charlton used to wear them and it like Sabutio and what's it whooshers. Um, and like it's the other thing in the nineties, like fat players. Yeah. Remember like Thomas Brolin, Neil Ruddock, like you used to, there used to be players playing at the top line who were fat. Which yeah, is yeah. like, if that doesn't sum up the era, I don't know what does, but I just wanted to get all that down. Like my idea of like the thing, <laughs> the thing I, I, when I first started to sit about it was like, if this book was like a time capsule, like what? What are the things about nineties football that no one's gonna re- talk about? Yeah. Like the thing that the things that have to be written down because no one will ever remember. Like, and I thought fat, like, you know, fat players and stuff like that, and, and what's it wishes and those SO coins for the France ninety eight yes, coin yeah. collection. Yeah. Oh, that Sainsbury's one, and like Andy Hinchcliffe being in the coins, and Gareth Southgate looking like Simple Jack from Tropic Thunder. <laughs> like th- these are the things that need to be committed to parchment. And the thing that really makes has made, been making me laugh the last few days is that the British Library have to have a copy of that. There'll be a copy <laughs> in the British Library about the Sainsbury's France '98 coin collection. Very good. Well, there you go. Yeah. Basically, exciting. Wow. Yeah, when, but... when is that coming out? So it's available for pre-order right now on the Conquer Editions website. I think it's on pre-order for like another three weeks and any copy bought with pre-order will get, uh, is signed and you can have anything you want written in the book that's signed. Okay. So I, if, uh, if you're a quickly Kevin fan annoyed that I'm having a go at Roberto Baggio at the moment, I will write Roberto Baggio was great in the book <laughs> and sign it if you buy a copy on pre-orders. Yes, yeah, so it's on the Conquer Editions website. Nice. Do you know the title? Do you know Can We Not Knock It? You struggled with it. Do you know who... Do you know where that's from? Is that a quote from a commentator or something then? It's from Graham Taylor. Is actually the front cover of the book is Graham Taylor. I think it's, um, I can't remember which game. The picture on the front of the book is a, a Graham Taylor at the England-Holland game. Yeah. Um, well, oh, the Holland-England game where we lose in uh, in Rotterdam, I think it is. Yeah. But can we not knock it? It's something he says, I think, when we're, we're losing to Poland, maybe uh, somewhere else in the group. And he's like referring to that, why can't we pass it around? But like, well, can we not? Long. Yeah, well, can we not knock it? It's just such a confusing way. No wonder England struggled with like instructions like that from the bench. <laughs> oh, mate, I'm looking forward to getting hold of that myself. Uh, let's go down to the British Library and uh, read a copy. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents. 
the anime effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to (laughs) pretend that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So, so Chris, um, the question I ask everybody on the podcast is, what do football shirts mean to you? um i'll i'll start with what they don't mean they're okay. not a fashion they're not a fashion statement okay. i like uh i would i don't actually wear shirts to games i've never had i don't know there's something weird about so uh nakedly like showing who you're there to support yeah, yeah. Whereas I, I prefer to wear like a fred perry like claret and blue or a little number for okay. me but i will wear football shirts around the house in the privacy of my own home like right. all the time I was wearing a Boca Juniors one with Maradona's name on the back this morning. Um, it's almost like, you know, like maybe they, they hold the same place in my heart. They're like Corinthian figures. Like there's just something you need to have. Yeah. They're like, you, you, want, you just want them. You want them in your home. But I feel a bit embarrassed about wearing them out or even I don't even like wearing them to the gym. Because right. if someone look at you for the same reason that um, I always, like my wife always laughs because I don't like buying flowers. I don't like walking down the street with a pair with a bunch of flowers because people <laughs> will look at me and go, "Why has that guy got flowers? He's obviously done something wrong." And in the same way, I don't really like walking down the street with a West Ham shirt on or an English shirt because it's like, "Oh, that guy supports West Ham." Or I don't know. I just find it a bit weird. But I, I like I've got loads of English shirts, loads of West Ham shirts, the old South American shirt, like a few international shirts. I just love having them. I just love, like, the same reason, like, collecting stickers or something. It's just lovely to have in your home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All within the privacy of your own home. Yeah. So, mate, your first shirt you've chosen, it's a beautiful shirt, I have to say. It's West Ham 2015-16 home shirt by Umbro. It's the farewell to the bowling ground shirt. Tell me more. Yeah, I would describe it as the Dimitri Payet shirt. Yeah. But, I mean, for, for a long time, well probably until about 18 months ago, the 2015-2016 season was our best season since the Harry Redknapp days. Yeah. But also, it was our last season at Upton Park. But the shirt itself, the, for the last season at Upton Park, Umbro just went completely classic. I think it's based on our, our first ever uh, West Ham strip. The classic kind of, the blue kind of circular collar, just claret, blue sleeves. It's exactly what a West Ham shirt should be. Yeah, yeah. And the fact it was that, and it is also the last time our crest was that was uh, 
that's that crest was used on a oh, shirt. We updated our crest the season after, yeah, uh, to be Thames Ironworks with the cross hammers, which I do like. I mean, no one likes changing a logo, changing a badge, yeah. but um, that that is the classic West Ham crest that I, we had from the early nineties right through to yeah twenty sixteen. And that shirt is just filled with so many wonderful memories of that season. Like beating, was it Blackburn away in the FA Cup 5 1? Payette scoring at uh, Old Trafford, although we were, I think we were in our wake at that day. Um, right. That season, oh, I think last game of the Upton, uh, Upton Park beating Man United 3 2 in that kit. It is just, uh, I think if my house was on fire and I could only grab one kit, it would be that because it was just such a wonderful time. Personally, too, it was like that was just before I started working at West Ham. So it was one of the last season tickets I ever had with my mates. So okay. we're in the chicken, the chicken run lower was where our season tickets were just before I kind of yeah, crossed the white line and became uh, an employee of West Ham United. So it was the, one of the, the last seasons, which is all my mates. Right. And then after that, my mate James went to Los Angeles. So it's just filled with so many good memories that season, that kit. It's just beautiful. Yeah, mate, I totally agree. What was it? What was it like in the chicken run? Because I've heard a lot of things about the chicken run, and obviously, you know, the last few years, I'm, I'm sure it's kind of updated and made a lot nicer. What, what was it like there in your youth, kind of thing as well? Was there a big difference? Well, I never actually went in the chicken run in my youth. Um, I I want to say because I don't want to say because I was scared, but I think <laughs> the thing about the chicken run as well is like it's. Um, when, it, when I first I first started going to West Ham in like 92 so it was all it was standing until like 94 so the, for the first couple of seasons there I couldn't really go and then I was in like the east so the chicken run was part of the east stand and then I moved to like I was in the centenary upper the family stand and then when I kind of when I stopped going with my family and started going with my mates it was all like I was in the corners of like the, the old west stand and then I kind of was a bit nomadic until until the writing was on the wall when we were going to leave Upton Park, I was like, I want to sit in the season. T- I want to have a, a season ticket in, in the chicken run. Yeah. The problem was the chicken run was only like five rows. It oh. was actually, it wasn't, it was nothing like the glory days of how, when it was standing because everyone would be packed in yeah. and it, it, and it would share, it would have like, you'd have the away fans down one end. So if you're in the chicken run down the end of what became the Sir Trevor Brooking stand, like if you're in the corner there, you could just have a go at the away fans all day long. Nice. But because there wasn't a lot of seats there, when I went to move season tickets and move my season tickets to the chicken run, by the time that came around, there were very limited options. So we were right up the other end away from the away fans. Okay. Um, but it was just like, uh, it was it was the oldest stand, RE stand. Um, it was pro- easily the most unloved as well. It was really rickety. The ball used to go on the roof all the time. Everything was a bit rusty. Yeah. When we actually went to leave, the West Ham auctioned off a lot of the stuff from the stand. And I had my eye on the... Um, there was a, a w- old wooden sign as you walked out that said, uh, thank you for your support and like a couple of crossed hammers. And they'd probably been there since like the eighties. Yeah. I thought I'm going to bid on that. And then I saw it was like four grand. I was like, Oh gosh, all right. I'm not having that. No. And then the next thing I was like, well, I want the toilet sign. There was like a gents toilet sign. <laughs> and I was like, well, I could probably get that. And my missus might let me put it in the toilet. That went for like a grand or so. I was like, Oh no. Oh. So I've ended up in my garden is a piece of the chicken run right now. My old, my last seat, um, yeah that for like 50 quid to my old seats in the garden and it's just getting really weathered it just water pools on it it's like covered in spider webs my missus going chuck that out i'm like over my dead body (laughs) so the chicken run does live on to a certain extent in my garden but it's just a wonderful old school that's what i love about i just love old grounds like that's why i love like selhurst park and yeah you know like the emirates is is beautiful but it's not real football is it it's not yeah, no, that's what the East Stand was. 
Yeah, you I lose love that kind something. of thing. It's progress, but you lose a little something, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like it's the same, same like I quite like Stanford Bridge. You just want it to be a bit higgledy piggledy. Yeah. You want it to be a bit all over the place and not kind of formulaic. Yeah. I, I, I just don't understand. When people are designing a football ground these days, why do they make it also like a bowl and, and like make it really intense? Like I think Juve did this. Like get get the first seat as close to the white line as you can. <laughs> like you want to make it hellish. You want to make it awful to play in. Don't like you don't need loads of space around the, like the turf. Yeah. You know, like make it intense and intimidating. So every stadium should be like the Bomban era for you, basically. Everybody yeah, yeah, play. like ridiculous oh. gradient on the stand. <laughs> and deeply unsafe, no doubt. Yeah, well. deeply unsafe. <laughs> yeah, hostile. <laughs> So, mate, let, let's travel back a bit further then. So your second shirt is the West Ham 92-93 away shirt by Butker. Uh, they've got a similar away shirt this year, Butker. I think, as well. Yeah, it's actually inspired by that kit. So 92-93 right. was my first season as a, as a West Ham fan. It was like I'd been a West Ham fan before that, but I didn't really know what the hell was going on. Right. Like uh, I'd got really into the World Cup in 1990. I'd watched West Ham on the telly, but we were we were really bad around ninety. I think we'd we'd gone up and gone down a couple of times. We hadn't we weren't playing particularly well. But by the time ninety two ninety three came around, we'd been relegated the season before, so we were in the championship effectively, and we were just winning every week. And so this coincided with me getting my first season ticket. And uh, you know, when I was like nine years old, and you know, when you're at that age, just like and you love football, and then suddenly you're supporting a team that is doing really well. It was just like seeing the world in 3D and colour for the first time and just being so addicted to it and just you're just having a season ticket, just waiting for that next game, especially when you were like we were in like a, a big promotion race. We ended up finishing uh, second on the last day of the season wow. against uh, Cambridge. So we went up and there was a big pitch invasion at the end. It was just a magnificent uh, a, brilliant season and then um having the season review on on video and watching it religiously like i i actually got someone sent me the um i tweeted something like this and someone sent me i tweeted to how much i enjoyed that season someone sent me the season review wow. and i watched it i watched it it was right at the start of the pandemic i was so grateful this guy sent me um all the season reviews he'd, he'd burned them all and had them all on a dropbox Oh wow! I just went. So that was actually how I begun the this recent pandemic. We're like we're in lockdown. I just watched all the '90s season reviews back <laughs> to back. Started with '90s. I can still remember the commentary. But the away kit was that was our away kit that season, like blue and white, like a bit like our Argentinian. Yeah. And so that that um, it's just like it was such a beautiful kit, and the fact we were winning in it all the time on the road. Now that that away kit we haven't really brought back until this season. Right. So someone, someone at Ambrose obviously done a bit of research and realised well, this is a this is a template we haven't used for a while. So this yeah. is the first time we've had that blue and white. And I mean, look, we're doing it on the pitch. We're doing it away from home, like we did against Leeds the other day. Yeah, it's a great away kit, and yeah, um, yeah I one I really cherish. Yeah, maybe the kit's got something to do with it, mate. You never know. Yeah, nice, very nice. So this final shirt. Chris, you've chosen is the England away shirt by Umbro. It's a Euro '92. Your mate Graham Taylor. Yes, yeah. I think this is the away shirt we wore at Euro '92. Yeah. The thing is, even though this is probably, well, this is probably one of the twice worst we've been. Like we've been bad, really bad, twice in my football supporting life. Probably McLaren missing out on the Euros. What was that, 2008? And this period here, 
under Taylor between kind of 1990 and him uh, getting sacked in around about 93, I guess it would have been. Yeah. This is the, the worst England have been. However, I think it's the the only time since 1966 that we've nailed the red away kit for England. Cool. Because if you have a look at that, this kit I've picked here for like the, the red away for 92, that is actually relatively the same template as the one, the white shirt we wore in Italia 90. Yeah. This one is just absolutely spot on. It's yeah. really good. But when you look at that kit, you're just fueled with memories of being rubbish at Euro 92. <laughs> Lineker missing the penalty to go ahead. Uh, I think he missed the penalty against Brazil, I think it was, to go ahead um, to become England's all-time leading goal scorer ahead of Bobby, Bobby Charlton. He missed that penalty in this shirt. So the, the shirt itself is filled with terrible memories. Yeah. But whenever I see people with it, I'm like, that is the best England away shirt. Yeah. It's the, like, it's the red on the right template. Um, just at the wrong time. <laughs> there are a lot of retros <laughs> flying about at the Euros just gone, weren't there? And that was one yeah. that's popular with the blue one as well. People were seen to be liking as well from around about the same yeah. time, I think. Yeah. I, do you know what? I've bought this one. I haven't got the original. I bought this one. I, I found it on eBay. I was like, oh, wow, this is cheap. This is that Red 92 one I want. I bought it. And obviously it's fake. Yeah. I mean, it's not fake, but it just doesn't... It's a remake. It's, a, it's a, like a 2020 remake of this shirt. And you're like, this is not what I want. I want the original. Yeah, is it is it washed and stuff like that? Is it all right? Yeah, yeah. It's just brand new. It's just brand new. It's just okay. not the same. It doesn't have the. I don't think it has the Umbro logo on it. I don't know. It's just a bit of a knockoff. Right. Okay. It's just not the yeah. same. Doesn't hold the same memories for you. No. 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 Wait, you need. Fair. You want the original, don't you? You want the original. You want it to smell a bit. And know it's got a bit of history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's had a few careful owners in the past. Yeah. Um, so Chris that's, that's three amazing choices thanks so much mate so um, where can people get hold of your book get hold of the book by going to Conquer Editions website just google Con Conquer Editions can we not knock it myself and Sid Lambert a celebration of 90s football and if you buy it on pre-order I will sign it and write in that book whatever you want me to write Nice. whatever you want even Roberto Baggio was decent I'll do it <laughs> and people can find you on Twitter too yeah, yeah, CJ Skull with a C on Twitter and Instagram as well, if you fancy that. Lovely stuff, mate. Well, look, thanks so much for um, sharing your football kit memories with me, Chris. It was amazing. Thanks a lot. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Craig. So there you have it. Massive thanks to Chris for sharing his football kit memories with me. You can follow me, my own collection on Instagram, or get in touch via Twitter or email. Make sure you follow Chris on social and check out his new book, Can We Not Knock It, on Conquer Editions. The music you heard was produced by Evilid. Check out his music on his Bandcamp page. There's links to absolutely everything I mentioned there in the notes section. And finally, thanks to you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please do spread the word, give me a follow on social, and subscribe to Football Kit Memories on your podcast player of choice. And other than that, I guess that's it. Until next time, I'll see you later.